0: All right, LCM, tonight is Wednesday night. On a Wednesday, the 18th of August. We're going to have a good time tonight. Y'all ready for that? Yeah. Holly, if you hear me. Yeah. I, I say Holly, if you hear me. <laughs> what you just participated in, unknowingly, unwittingly, unbeknownst to you, was a call and response. You might hear it as like a, uh, asking you shall receive. How did y'all know that? <laughs> Knock and the door shall be. Man, y'all know y'all, but I was trying to give y'all a tough one. I need to go look in Obadiah and some and find a scripture <laughs> that y'all ain't been reading. What you just participated in was a call and response. We're going to go ahead and throw up that slide. Call and response. Now, this is the dictionary.com definition. It's noting or pertaining to a style of singing in which a melody sung by one singer is responded to or echoed by one or more singers. Now, I'm going to leave that to Peyton uh, when he leads us to worship in the second part. If you want to buy a uh, pastor away a cup of coffee, he might uh, sing for you some really old uh, spiritual um, call and responses. He will. Yeah. he will. Yes. Old. Down in Louisiana. The second definition is noting to or pertaining to a rapid, spontaneous, verbal and nonverbal interaction between the speaker and the listener, in which all statements are punctuated by expressions from the speaker. No, No, they're punctuated from the listener. That's going to be important as we continue tonight. Now, as I said, this is the dictionary.com's version. It's it's safe. (laughs) It's the definition of a call and response. (laughs) It's a nonverb, it's a verbal or nonverbal sign. And that may be what the world calls a, a call and response. I say something, you say something back to me. But that's not the way of the kingdom. See, we don't deal just in a matter of uh, our father speaks and we talk back to him. The kingdom is a matter of power. Yeah. Yeah. See, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. We got a Holy Ghost kind of call and response that we're learning to walk in in his body. We are growing into the fullness of the stature of the mature manhood that is Jesus Christ himself. Say amen. Are you growing into the fullness of who he is? I'm talking about stretching out into every area. We're becoming just like our king. Now, we all know that Sunday's message is too good not to reflect on. So that's what you're going to get out of us tonight. It was too good not to go back to. So, you know, we're going back to Deuteronomy 33, but on the way there, we're going to stop off in the Exodus 32. Turn to Exodus 32, 25. Did you
1: guys enjoy last Sunday? Yes. Yes. Was it revelatory to you? Yes. We get to Exodus chapter 32. Look at what it says in verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, "Whoever is for the Lord, come to me." Come on. What did he say? "Come, come to, to me. me." And all the Levites rallied to him. In Exodus 32, we can see clearly here Moses calling to any who would respond. And we know how the story plays out. We know that the Levites, the Levites responded with Action. Yeah. Do you guys see that call and response here? You know, this wasn't like, uh, if you hear me, you know, stomp your feet twice. Or if you hear me, clap your hands. This is a call and response regarding God's kingdom. And we see here that the Levites responded with action. This leads us into Deuteronomy 33, picking up in verse 8. Let's throw that on the screen. Verse 8 says this. About Levi, he said... Your Thummim and Urim belong to the man you favored. You tested him at Massah. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledged his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. Amen. Man, how extraordinary was that word from last Sunday? Did Pastor Matthew and away doing a fantastic job?
0: Oh, don't worry. I know how extraordinary it was. I was sitting in the back there, and I could see, like, a Facebook uh, chat room just uh, notifications going off in y'all's head. Like, Pastor, you talking to me. Pastor, you talking to me. Pastor, yeah. you talking to me. Every conversation I had after, after service, every conversation that night was like, man, he was talking about me, and he was talking about this specific situation. And to which I said, no, he was talking to me and about this specific, specific situation. That word from my pastors was everything
1: on Sunday. Exactly. When we're having to fight over who the pastors were speaking about, we know that the word was good. We know that God was doing something in our midst. In light of that message, let's throw up this slide. You guys will recognize this from last Sunday. So as they walked us through Deuteronomy 38 verses 8 and 9, we see that the first step to the making of a priest to mature manhood in Christ is to first and foremost receive divine discernment. Do you guys see that? And after receiving this divine discernment, what happens next? What are you to expect after you've heard from God and you feel his power and you know he's giving you divine discernment? What do you expect next?
0: I want to run.
1: No. (laughs) You can expect to be tested through tension. Exactly. This is the progression of how a priest is made. This is the progression of how we are formed into the manhood of who Jesus Christ is. And then on the third, when they covered this last Sunday that we need to learn how to judge without partiality. When you receive divine discernment, you're expected to have the testing of the tension in the midst of it. And as you're being tested in tension, you're able to give divine discernment and able to apply God's judgments rightly.
0: The pastors blessed us with this message on Sunday. And if you haven't listened to it one or two times yet, you probably should catch up. We were all encouraged. We were all challenged. We were all convicted by this word. The links by which our Father is going and has gone to make us mature, not immature, but mature, full grown sons of the kingdom of God, wilderness power, is amazing. And it's something that should be giving us more and more confidence. Not that we've already attained it, but that our Father is providing every opportunity for us to grow. As we respond, to this message. As we respond to what he is doing in our lives, you can expect to grow because you are doing that. And I'm seeing that because we are family. We are responding to his words and we are calling out for the wisdom like James 1 talked about. We can have that confidence that he is maturing us just like we saw it in the Levites, just like we see it in Scripture. Speaking of a call and response that our father is sending out and we're responding to, let's turn to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 starting in verse 7. Say there when you get there. There, 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 there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. You might not find a better example in the word of men showing the proper reverence for God's name as we did in Deuteronomy 33. That is what the priesthood is based on. It's based off of Men who would honor the Lord and show him the honor that is due his name. God called through Moses, through a man, and they responded with action. God is calling to us through our pastors, and we dare not refuse the wisdom that he is pouring out on us and the discipline. Amen? Amen? I'm talking about all of it. Next verse says, listen, my son. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching." They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. As as sons, we are constantly, continually learning our need for maturity, our need to grow up, plainly stated. It is jarring at times. It's almost kind of shocking how much we need to call out for for wisdom and, uh, and discernment. Were you shocked? Like I was shocked when I realized that, man, The reason that I'm so surprised when I I find that I need more wisdom, that I need more discernment, the reason why that kind of jars me is because I got a dormant area of of self-dependency and self-sufficiency in there. Were you surprised? Everybody say, thank you, pastors. We are rooting that out in the name of Jesus. Now, in this scripture, where it says they will be a garland to grace your head, The Septuagint actually calls that a crown in place of a garland. When we take in, I mean fully take in all the words that our pastors are giving, fully fully taking in all the correction that God is pouring out on us so lavishly, we take all of it in and we receive it like we got on Sunday and we learn how to respond in our daily lives. It is like we are being crowned, crowned with the divinity of God's supernatural word that is working into our lives. Say amen. Do you guys love the proverbs? Yeah. You know it's the
1: book of wisdom. When you look at Proverbs 1, do you hear the heart of a father instructing his son? Yeah. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. As you're reading this, as you're engaging with this, what is the ultimate goal of the father for his son? What is that goal? As he's instructing him, as he's speaking words to him, he's giving him his les- he, the things he's learned in his life, and he's transmitted to his son, and he's speaking to his son, and he's instructing his son. What is ultimately the goal that the father is aimed at for his son? It's everything that we've been pointing to. It's everything that our pastor's been preaching about. In fact, let's throw up Ephesians 4 so you can see this for yourself in the ESV. I'm we'll help you all out.
0: And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Say again, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. LCM, Ben asked the question and here's the answer. The reason that the father speaks to the son the way that he does, the reason that he is, he is working these things into his life is because he wants the son to mature. And our father wants us to mature. Do you want to mature? Yes. So what does that maturing process look like?
1: Right? So we hear mature to the manhood of Christ, to the full measure, like a man. Yeah. We're all excited. Like, a man. like, What is that? What does like that a process man. look like? Does it, does it look like, you know what? mature manhood. Shazam. And now I'm a man. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) Right? No. If it's, we want it to though. Right. Right. But it it doesn't work that way. It's not. If I have enough zeal, if I just try harder, I will mature into the manhood of Christ. No, not even if you uh, went away for eight hours a day and prayed as much as you can and read as much as you can. This is not what mature manhood looks like. It's actually a process. And just like we learned in Deuteronomy 38, there's a process to making a priest. There's a process to mature manhood. In fact, our great Savior has something to say in
0: regards to this. Look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7. Say, Bim, you're preaching to me when you get there. (laughs) Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened.
1: How incredible is this? Our time during worship a prophecy comes forward in tongues. There's an interpretation about this exact same verse. When a brother is, is ministering and prophesying in our midst and has no idea what's contained in the sermon notes, you know that God is trying to get our attention and our king here is speaking in Matthew seven, and the first thing Jesus says is we must ask, right? Yeah. Now I have to ask LCM. When he says you must ask, is this a sowed? No. 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 This is not a sowed. He really, actually means ask, right? The second thing Jesus says in Matthew seven is seek. Is this a sowed? No. No. He actually means you must put in some effort, as in like you actually have to try. Yeah. How silly would it be if, if Linton came in my house and said, hey, man, how was your day? You no, know, what were you up to? I was like, man, I was seeking all over the house for my boots. And he's like, okay, where did you look? Nowhere. I just sat on the couch, but I was seeking. No, it doesn't work that way. To seek means there's action. To seek means you actually have to try. So when he says ask, he really means ask. When he says seek, he really means seek. What is the third thing Jesus says here? So he said ask, he said seek, and what's the last thing he says here? Okay, knock. Now, unless you're, you're a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, you really don't go around knocking randomly on people's doors, right? The doors that you do knock on the doors that you knock on are of doors of people you know. Yeah. You knock on these doors so you can gain access. You knock on these doors so that you can gain knowledge. You knock on these doors because you want some sort of growth, Amen. right? Yeah. So when we were going back and forth about this and studying with the sermon, taking what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and wrestling with what this process looks like in our own lives yeah. and how our good Father is bringing it about, this is what we came away with. Let's put up this slide. You guys see that? You ask your father. You then receive from him, and then you try. As you try, he will cause you to grow. But this is what the process looks like. When we are humble enough to ask, we're courageous enough to try then God will make us grow. This is our confidence. This is what mature manhood looks like. We don't have to make this some sort of a revelation. Our good father wants this to be Peshat for us so that we can receive it. We're sheep. I I want it in a Peshat. If we're asking him, if we're trying, he himself will cause us to grow and we can find confidence in that. Come on, bro. In fact, For you guys taking notes, the title of our sermon tonight is Ask, Try, and Grow. Say that with me. Ask, Ask, Try, and Grow. That's the shot. So do you guys want to see this process and how it relates to what the pastors preached last Sunday, Deuteronomy 33? And how we can further our maturity into the full manhood of Christ?
0: You guys turn your Bible to 1 Kings 3. Do you guys want to see a man who is diligent and respond to Pastor Matt's instructions that he gives on the jump? Yeah. You're about to see one.
1: You guys in 1 Kings 3? Yeah. We want everybody to get there. Come on. 1 Kings, picking up in verse, 1 Kings chapter 3, picking up in verse 5. It says this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to do that again. So that's why we said we wanted everybody to be in First Kings 3, picking up your verse 5. I'm going to read it again and pretend like I just didn't do what I did. And we're all going to respond. Amen? Amen. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. The first thing we see here that God does is he tells Solomon to ask and the Lord desires to give. This is the origin of receiving divine discernment. When you're asking your father, he already has the desire to give. And this is what the Lord is speaking to Solomon. Now, as I engage with this personally in 1 Kings 3, in my life, I don't always ask. I don't always ask because I think the matter that I'm engaging with is trivial or in some way I am bothering my heavenly father with a small matter but when in actuality it's a fear that I won't receive it's a fear that I cannot hear rightly see First John 4 says perfect love drives out fear oh, Solomon is dreaming God comes to him and says ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you He loves Solomon and Solomon loves him. Our father loves us and we love him. And he is asking us to ask of him because he desires to give. Look at verse six. Look at Solomon's response. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne to this very day. Man, do you guys love the heart of Solomon in this? Yes. I, love, and I love how Solomon approaches the Lord. I love how he approaches the Lord about this. Solomon clearly recognizes that the position he is currently standing in is a result of the righteous life his father David lived. He is standing in the position as king due to what his father did. Speaking to the fathers in the room, the best thing that you can pass down to your children, the best inheritance that you can ever give them is to live a righteous life. And Solomon recognizes that. That's what I want for my daughter. That's what I want for the generations that come after me, to live such a godly life that is upright with the Lord and righteous and pass it on to them. And just like Solomon, just being transparent with you guys, I recognize the position I am in is a result of the Lord's kindness to the righteous lives of the fathers of this church. Amen. I'm standing before you preaching today as a result of what these men have done. And Solomon recognized this in, in David's life and said, Lord, you are good. You are kind to my father. And as a result, I'm standing here. Solomon was raised up for this moment. Linton and I were raised up for this moment. We're being raised up here in this body. LCM, you were being raised up for such a time as this. This is what our pastors and our fathers are doing in this body. Now, moving on to verse 7, I want to show you something. This is Solomon still speaking in his dream to the father. He said, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I, am, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. For years, I always read this, verse, this, this passage wrong, this entire chapter. Solomon says here, I am only a little child. The way I've always read that and I've read into the text is he said, I am only like a little child. Solomon says, no, I am a little child and I do not know how to carry these duties that have been put on me. This is the same load that I feel. This load upon me is increasing. It's increasing in my home. It's increasing in my workplace. It's increasing in this body. And I'm realizing just how much I do not know how to carry up my duties. I need my father's help. I need to ask him to help me. And when Solomon says this, when he says, I do not know how to carry out my duties, this should not be misunderstood as a lack of intellect. It should not be misunderstood as a lack of teaching. No, he received teaching from his father. He received the knowledge from his father. In the same way in this body, we don't have a lack of God's word. We don't have a lack of teaching. We are given a plethora, a, a smirkish board. We are given so much in this church. What, what Solomon is really saying when he says, I do not know how to carry up my duties is this requires complete humility and dependency on the father. Yeah. That's what he's speaking about here. Look at what verse nine goes on to say. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon's sole reason for asking for divine discernment is so that he can govern God's people. How precious is that? How self-sacrificial is that? He wants to administer right judgment and give divine discernment. So he is asking the Father, Lord, I've been put in this position. I feel the weight. Father, would you give me divine discernment for your people to govern them? When he says here, give me a discerning heart. Do you guys remember in Deuteronomy 38, what does it start off with? Your thurum and your urum, right, about the priest. He's literally asking, when he says, give me a discerning heart to govern your people, he's literally asking, let the urum and thurum be upon my heart so I can govern your people. The goal of asking for divine discernment, the goal for receiving divine discernment, was for the benefit of others. It was never meant to be self-seeking. It was never meant to be self-generated within Solomon or even any one of us. Amen. It requires being able to ask your father for it and believing that he will give it to you. Now, did Solomon receive divine discernment? What's evident of that? Actions. Kingdom. Okay. Well, let's go on the slide. I want to show you guys something. In light of what we've been preaching about, Solomon asked the Lord in 1 Kings 5, in 1 Kings 3, and he's talking about receiving divine discernment. Lord, I want to have a discerning heart. Do you see him trying and putting into practice? So, this is 1 Kings 3.23. This is when he's dealing with the two women. You know, this is my son. No, this is my son. And they're fighting over the son. And Solomon says, hey, this one says, my son is alive, your son is dead, while the other says no. And he's, he's having to make judgments in the moment. He's having to try to put into practice what he's asking God for. And as a result in 1 Kings 3, when he makes right judgments, it says, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the same man when David was still king saying, hey, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And we can see here that he has grown. He has asked the Lord for divine discernment. He has humbled himself to ask, and he has been courageous enough to try, and God is making him grow, and it is evident to the entire nation. Church, this is the confidence that we can have. This is the process that we must walk through to to ensure that we reach the fullness and the
0: maturity of Christ. Let's leave that slide up. You see here that Solomon's asking, not about what, what kind of shoes to wear for the day. He's asking the Lord about what his will is, about what he needs to fulfill his function in life. And when he's trying, he's not just trying faithless, faithlessly, let's just put it plainly. He's not like, oh, I'm going to just stick my foot out there and hope that you, you catch me or something like that. No, Solomon is giving it his all. I mean, if, if he gets this wrong, a baby could be cut in two. Yeah. He, is, he is stepping out there and he's stepping out in faith and he is trying with all that he has. Yeah. Husbands, I'm pretty sure that you can relate as you've been challenged to increase your divine direction to your wives and to your family. And you, you're keeping your eyes on both God's mission and the misread of those coming under you. I'm pretty sure you've been having a stretch. Yeah. You've been having to try not with just a little bit, not try faithlessly. We've been having to try with all that we have. And the result of trying with all that we have is the growth that we see in Solomon's life. When we are humble enough to ask the Lord for what he wants to give us, courageous enough to try and to try with all, to try with complete faith, then God will make us grow and that brings confidence, my friends. Let's turn to Proverbs 1 in verse 20. Wisdom is calling aloud. I'm reading in the NIV anglicized wisdom is calling aloud in the street she raises her voice in the public squares at the head of the noisy streets she cries out in the gateways of the city she makes her speech wisdom is getting ready to talk here but the first point is that it's not some secret knowledge it's not for one class of christian it's not for one class of person person and there is no excuse yeah the street's noisy so what She's crying out. It's, it's being made plain what's about to be delivered. And we have every opportunity to receive what we need. And at times, man, your days get, days get fast. Things get hectic. The Lord is causing you to grow at a pace faster than you think you can. And he's doing that because you don't know what you can do, actually. And it seems like, man, it's noisy. It's a lot of uh, background noise and distractions. The Lord is telling us, like, hey, you can have this. You can have confidence that if you ask, if you ask me, all those verses of shot. if you ask me, you will receive it. Amen. Wisdom is calling out to all who hear. It. It's not hiding from us. You can have the confidence to receive divine discernment because of the one who has given it is faithful. That's why we can have the confidence to ask. Not because we ask in a proper manner. Not because we even ask the right question, because if we ask with our whole heart, he is faithful and he will give us exactly what we need. You remember that James one verse five, it says that God grants wisdom generously without finding fault. When we ask, when we humble ourselves, he pours out verse 22. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Isn't it a blessing to know that even though we may start out lacking wisdom, like immature sons, lacking discernment in an area or two, or many, that we don't have to stay that way. Is that a blessing? Yes. Or would, I'm not going to, we, we're not, this is not who LCM is. But there's a certain kind of person that wants to stay immature, that wants to stay immature even in an area. And the word equates that to a mocker. He's saying that you don't have to stay a simple one. And we don't want to stay simple ones. I don't want to stay a simple one in any area of my life. And you know what? I don't have to. Neither do you. We start as sons in need of growth and are given the hope that if we respond joyfully to what the Lord is directing us towards, he's going to give us everything we need. Church, say everything. Everything. 23, it says, if you have responded. How did I know he was going to give us everything? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. I have a well-known secret for you, church. When you take a bold stand to believe in what God's word says to you, to believe in what it says about Israel and the the, the world at large, the body at large, you already have what you need for life and godliness. We're We're not seeking something more. When you take a bold stand and believe what he's already said, You have what you need. Now, the secret is we have to utilize what he's given us. Utilize it to the fullness. I mean, stretching out, trying with everything that we have, and you will see growth when you do that. He is making his thoughts known to you by the spirit and by the word and through your pastors and elders. He uses both. Well, all three in that sense. Pastors, elders, the word, the spirit, and brothers. Do we need to go back and look at Deuteronomy 17, 10, 11? If it's not familiar, then go back and look at it in your own time. Because you're becoming mature men and women of God, you utilize what God has already given you, and that is increasing your confidence. Can you say amen? amen. You can have confidence because it is divinely given by God. You understand that? that? What we have confidence is not our own godliness. It's not our own ability. It's not even our own lack. What we have confidence in, the fact, is that the God who is faithful, God who sees all, knows all, is giving us exactly what we need for this station in life.
1: Amen. Are you guys encouraged from what you see here in Proverbs 1? Our Father doesn't want us to stay simple.
0: Yeah.
1: He wants to lavish these things upon us. If we humble ourselves enough to ask, He will pour it out upon us. In Romans, it tells us that the things written in the past were written to encourage us. In light of that, I want you guys to turn to 1 Samuel 30. We get a 1 Samuel 30, say, ask, try, and grow. Okay, 1 Samuel 30, picking up in verse 3, says this. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his, sons, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David sent to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, Abiathar Abiathar brought it to him. Me, the ephod man, any any honest assessment of David's life when you read about him in the Bible, doesn't, doesn't it lead you to the conclusion that David was always a man inquiring of the Lord, asking of the Lord? And we can see that he was a man asking for divine discernment, he wanted to receive it. And in David's life, from the moment that he was anointed by Samuel to be king, was it smooth? Was it easy? You know, was he just free of cares and worries? Or did he have people like Saul bring down his neck? He He had a difficult time. It was hardship for him. This is no different than 1 Samuel 30. This is what David's life has always looked like. This is what testing through tension looks like. In the midst of being potentially stoned by his own men. Keep in mind, he is their leader. He has led them on the military campaign. And now they're talking about stoning him because they're bitter about their current situation. Their family's missing. There's the weight of the world on David's shoulder. He is being tested through tension. And what does he say in verse 7? Bring me the ephod. That should be the cry and the response of every man of God. Man, I used to think, you know what? My daughter's crying. She's newly born out of the hospital. She's crying. I need to hear from the Lord. What's wrong? Okay, if I just give her to her mother and I run into the closet and pray, I'll hear from God. It doesn't work like that. David is standing in the midst of his men. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. Things are the, their, their homes are burned, and they're talking about stoning him. And he's like, bring them to ephod because he realizes that... No other way is going to work. He can't just say, hey, guys, I understand you want to kill me right now. Give me five, maybe 30 minutes. Let me run over here, hide behind a rock, and pray to God and hear hear from God. He's standing in the testing through the tension, and he's saying, bring me the ephod. That is chutzpah. That is confidence. He knows the God that he serves. See, testing through tension actually proves the divinity of your discernment. How do he discern what to do in that moment? Because he's been there before. How do we know what to do in the situations that we are put into? Because we've been there before in the sense that this is the normative experience of a Christian, and what we need to do is ask the Lord to give us insight. David can't just run away and pray. Neither can we. Look at verse 8. It says, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed, succeed in the rescue. See, after David asked the Lord for divine discernment and he received it, David went to war. He actually had to try. He said, Lord, should I pursue them? Yes, pursue. But you don't see him just standing there. If you read throughout the rest of the chapter, he actually goes to war with his enemies. Moving on through 1 Samuel 30, you can find out in verse 18 through 20 that David fought them and he recovered everything. He totally decimated the Amalekites. He went to war and as a result of him trying and put into practice what God spoke to him. You can actually see that he instituted something in Israel that caused maturity not only in him, but in everybody. Look at verse 25. This is after they came back from war. This is after they received their families back. It says, David made this statue an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. This is in light of when they got back and they had all the plunder and all the shares. And David says, no, the man who stayed with the supplies is going to get the exact same share as the man who went to war. And as a result of this maturity, as a result of this growth in his own life, Israel started to do this from this day forward. What about us? When we go through the testing through tension... When we're asking the Lord and we're receiving from him, when we're, we're trying, Lord, we're trying with all that we have, it's a testimony to the generations, and they can grow as a result of this. This is growth. This is maturity. Turn
0: to 1 Peter 1. Say there when you're there. It's another man who knew how to try and try and try. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Keep in mind, we're talking about being tested through the tension. And Peter isn't acting as if something is wrong here. No, he's saying we greatly rejoice in this testing. We greatly rejoice in these trials. And he tells us why. And this is what every man of God, every woman of God should desire in this place. More than any specific calling. More than any specific thing that we're trying to hear from God about. This is the thing that I want to be said about me. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine. Say proven genuine. genuine. What we want is a genuine love for the Lord. Our discernment to be tested, our mettle to be tried, and to be found genuine. To be found the authentic thing. That I could look at him on that day and look at him with confidence. Because I was tested in his life. I was tried in his life. I was dependent in his life. And he produced growth in me. And he produced a crop in me. May be proven genuine. And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls through the testing, through the trials. Testings are a gift because they prove us genuine. You ever got a really cheap tool? Don't knock on Harbor Freight because I love Harbor Freight. (laughs) But some stuff breaks. But you ever got something like a, a stool or something that you sat on, and it, it looks nice, and then it fell, and, I mean, yeah. you bust your butt? Yeah. May even hurt you or hurt your family? Yeah. Nobody, likes, nobody likes a knockoff. No. Nobody likes something that looks good on the outside, but on the inside it is uh, lacking in, in integrity. What we want is to be tested. We want to be genuine. And you may not like the way the testing comes. I mean, you may not like the way the wisdom is coming, but it doesn't matter because the wisdom that's coming to you The testing that is coming to you is actually what produces something that is genuine, and that is what every one of us wants. We just have have to have the faith to know that we can. You have to have the confidence to know that you can be tested, that you can be tried, and you can be found genuine. Because you know what the testing produces, and what it produces is a confidence in the authenticity of your faith and results in an overcoming joy. Because you know this. Don't you want to be tested and proven genuine? I do. We have many opportunities every day for the genuineness of our discernment to be tested, for maturity to be tested. But ultimately, what is being tested is our love for the Lord. Your degree, my degree of our willingness to be tested is is, is paramount to our love for the Lord. Lord, I love you, so I'm going to go into this because I know what you're trying to produce in me. Lord, I love you and I don't know what you're doing right here, but I'm going into it anyway because you are faithful and I can trust you. Our willingness to, to walk into testing, to walk into trials is, a, is proportional to our growing love for the Lord. Do y'all want to have growing love for the Lord? Yes. We got to have growing love for the testing. Speaking of love, love doctor, Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 quickly. 13, 5. Now, most times when we, when in common uh, in, in our culture, somebody quotes this, this scripture, they're getting ready to propose. Uh, they're talking about a, 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 a husband and a wife and nothing's wrong with that. But the more uh, Peshat uh, interpretation, or I, should I say remez, as you look in the passage around it, is that he's talking about a love for the Lord. And this is what a love for the Lord does. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I want my love to be proven genuine. And the only means for that to happen is through the testing that comes in tension in all its various forms. Your love is tested through tension when you think that you have an opportunity to dishonor others, but you don't because you love him. It's tested when you could easily be self-seeking, but you will not because that is not the the Lord's word to you. That is not his direction to you. That is not his divine discernment. His divine discernment is for you to lay down your life to all that ask. Your genuine love for the Lord is being tested in so many ways. But you can have confidence. Say, I can have confidence. confidence. You know why? Because as you humble yourself to ask for what you need in the testing, and you have the courage to try and try with everything that you have, you will see the faithfulness of your God and at at work in your midst. Your confidence will grow. This process is what transforms us into the lovers of the truth. We don't rejoice with evil. We rejoice with the truth. We are those who love truth no matter what it means for us. We rejoice when we're tested. We rejoice when we're found wanting because you know what? That is what our Father is using to reveal it, to bring it into the light, and he is transforming us through it. We can rejoice with the truth because of what this, this testing is producing in our faith. It's producing faithful shepherds who always protect Faith-filled sons who always trust, men who are full of conviction, who will stand to the end on God's perfect promises. When we allow ourselves to be tested in this way, we become standard bearers who judge without partiality.
1: Let's throw up Isaiah 11, pick it up in verse 3 on the screen, speaking about judging without partiality. And he would delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he, he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he would judge the needy. With justice, he would give decisions for the poor of the earth. He would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he would slay the wicked. Righteousness would be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. This, this scripture from Isaiah 11 is near and dear to my heart. When we're talking about having rights, judgment. We're talking about judging without partiality. This is my personal prayer, that, Lord, the filter by which I make judgments is not based on what I see or hear, but it's actually based on what your spirit and your word is showing me in that moment. I want to be able to see myself rightly. So, Lord, show me through your word. Lord, show me through brothers. Lord, I want this process to be seen in my life. I am asking you, and I am going to try, and I know that you're faithful to cause me to grow. This is how we grow in our discernment. This is how we grow in making right judgments, being able to see our family rightly, being able to see our brothers rightly, being able to see the world rightly, and doing it in a way that honors the Lord. Yeah. Now, we know that Isaiah is the, the, the writer here in, in, in chapter 11, and we know that ultimately he's speaking, speaking about Jesus. If you started in verse 1, it's the sevenfold spirit of the living God, and he's speaking about Messiah. Do you guys know in John 5, what Jesus says in verse 30? Let's put it up on the screen. Look at this. In light of judging rightly, judging without partiality, Jesus says this in verse 30. "By By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You want to make right judgments, LCM? Yes. Then it can be pleasing to you. You want to make right judgments, LCM? It has to be done in a way that honors the Lord. In the way that he speaks it to you, he shows it to you through his word and his spirit. This is what maturity looks like. And he had this, Jesus had this same desire for his disciples. He's saying this about himself in John 5, but he had
0: this exact same desire for his own disciples. Turn with us to John 17. In John 17, Jesus is coming to the, the culmination of his earthly ministry. He's done his earthly ministry, and now he is praying for his disciples. And because you've read this passage, because you love the book of John and you're scholars of the word, you know that he's not just praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for you and me. Amen. He's praying for those who will believe through the message. It's time for us to grow into mature men. It's time to go to work. Jesus is leaving. His work is his, his earthly ministry is being accomplished. And now he's laying it at the feet of his disciples and he's preparing them like a good disciple. He goes on to say in John 17, verse eight, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. They were receiving divine discernment from their king and so are you. We're adding faith to the words that God has given us and is producing a crop in our lives. In the book of Acts, Acts, you can continually see that they humbled and they fasted and they prayed. They humbled themselves, they fasted, and they prayed, seeking direction. Lord, who is the 12th apostle? Lord, uh, would you send Peter to us? Lord, what to do with the Gentiles? And God continually answered them. How much more can we have confidence today? That if we humble ourselves, ask him, and if we give everything that we have for his will, he will speak to us. He will give us the words that we need. He will give us the wisdom that we need. And he'll give it to us because we actually plan on doing something with it, not just sitting on it. In verse 13, he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, and he is preparing them for their testing. His disciples will be tested through tension again and again and again. So much so that we see in Acts 5 that as they stand before Gamaliel, they're being tested. Their work is literally being tested, and he's telling uh, the, the brothers in the Sanhedrin, hey, if this is from God, you are fighting against God. If it's, if, if it's from man, then it will fail. And what do the disciples do? They go on, and they continue to do exactly what the Lord said to do, and it bears fruit, and they leave that place rejoicing that they got to suffer for the name. We are currently being tested, and will be tested in the very same manner, in the very same way, and our confidence must grow, it gets to grow you can have confidence in what God is producing in you because you are walking through the very same process that they have in verse 16 they said they are not of the world even as I am of it as I am not of it sanctify them by the truth your word is truth as you sent sent me into the world I have sent them into the world for I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified This entire time that Jesus was working with them, the entire time since he called them from this point, he was was preparing them. He was working his character into them. Now, they started off immature. They started off as, as young, scared Jewish boys. But these men, these men that you see here, they will sit on 12 foundations judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In Luke 22, he says, and now I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes. Now, remember that the apostles didn't start off as judges. They didn't start off uh, sitting on the, the 12 pillars. They started off learning how to ask him for what they needed. They started out how to l- learning how to stretch out and try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they grew. They grew. And God has given us the scriptures so so that you can see their progress. But he's doing the same thing in our lives. You don't start off mature. The process is maturity, and this is how we become mature. But it it is the call tonight, and it is the call of this church. This church makes mature men. It makes mature families, and it matures calls, and it reaches out into all the nations. They had to grow, and they did. So will we. Because the same process that they underwent is at work in your life. Have confidence. That's that's the entire message. You can have confidence because you are going through this process. When you ask him, when you humble yourself to ask him for what you need, you can have confidence that he's going to give it to you. When you try with all that you have to do, just the thing that he told you to do, you can have confidence. You can have confidence that he is growing you. And confidence is dangerous because when it when it, It's like a, a train. When it gets rolling, it starts to pick up momentum and we start th- seeing things move. Amen. The 12 disciples, disciples set on 12 thrones. We too will judge angels. As we head to our close and you turn to 1 John 5, we want to encourage you as family. We are growing. That is a process that we're called to. What our Father wants us to do along this process as we're growing, we're going to have growing pains. You're going to have nicks and bruises, but what he wants us to grow with is confidence. What he wants us to grow in is confidence. Because if we trust him, if we trust this process that he's laying before us, it will bear fruit. We
1: serve serve such a good father. Look at what it says in 1 John 5 and 14. Stand up with us. You guys go ahead and stand. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask that is according to his will, we know that we have what we have asked of him. How, how encouraging is that? How beautiful is, is this? Saints, do you want to build your confidence? Yes. And I'm not just talking about tonight. Do you want to build your confidence moving forward tonight and moving forward? Yes. This is how. You joyfully get to approach your father and ask him for what you need. You courageously try. Try. When he shows you what you must do after you've received that divine discernment from him. And as a result, he himself will cause you to grow. This is our confidence. This is what mature manhood looks like in Christ. This is how the priesthood are made. Rick, you can have the confidence to hear from God. Cho, you can have confidence to hear from God. Family. We have confidence we can have it to hear from him if we just approach his altar. If we just approach him not in a bomb shelter position, but knowing like he told Solomon, ask of me whatever you want and I will give it to you. When we ask, we're asking in accordance to his will and we can see him give us divine discernment and you must Try And what he would do is water that seed of you trying, and he will cause you to grow. And this is what mature manhood looks like in Christ. You guys ready to pray? Father, we thank you. Lord, we say as we approach your altar, Lord, we approach your altar with confidence, Lord, because your call has already gone out telling us to ask you for what we want. Father, we are asking tonight, Lord God, that you would strengthen us. We're asking, Lord God, for divine discernment. Lord, we're asking that as you reveal things tonight for each and every family, for the priests of their home, Lord, that these men may be courageous enough to try what you are showing them. And Father, we know your character. You would actually cause it to grow and bear fruit that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, we love you. May you be honored tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray.